Welcome to the Internet History Podcast. I'm your host, Brian McCullough. Our friend Christina Warren is back today for another analysis episode. Uh, Christina recently posted a tweet storm about SoundCloud and its prospects for the future. So I reached out and she kindly agreed to come back on the show and take a look at the history of SoundCloud as a company and try to help me figure out why it is exactly SoundCloud finds itself on the brink of basically oblivion. You all know Christina from her years at Mashable and most recently Gizmodo. As you'll hear towards the end of the episode, she's at Microsoft now, but you can always hear her on the Rocket FM podcast, which I highly recommend. So please enjoy Christina Warren. Christina Warren, thanks for coming back on the Internet History Podcast. I'm so excited to be back. Um, it's it's been like what, like three years? Yeah, something like that. I mean, this, you, like that. this is going to be episode 149. I feel like you might have been in the first 50. I don't yeah, I think, I think I was in the first 50. And I, it's it's so funny that you've done 149 because I was listening. I remember when you first started the podcast. I don't uh, remember how I discovered it, but I feel like I've been listening since you know the first five or six episodes. So this is awesome. Yeah, uh, that you've I been think for so long because I just. Uh, I just turned in the book manuscript yesterday to the publisher. So Congratulations. I've been thinking about how this has been like a four-year-long project that became a four-year-long project without me ever, <laughs> ever realizing it and making that decision, you know? And wasn't the original goal to – the book was always the original goal, the right? The book was the goal, and then when the podcast took off, I, I forgot about it and got lost <laughs> for a while uh, until somebody kicked my ass and said, you know, uh, this should be a book. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. So Yeah, and I, I remember even talking to you after we did um, – I, I was on the first time and being like, what, what's up with the book? And that, I guess that was how I learned that that was originally the goal. I'm glad – I'm so so proud um, and happy that you turn in your manuscript. Can't wait to read the book because uh, this is one of the best pods out there, but <laughs> – well, but, but, but the information that you've gathered over 149 episodes, um, and as well as other research, I think will be a great read for people who don't have 150 hours to, right. to kill. Right, exactly. Know? Well, uh, thank you for the kind words, and uh, I'm, it sounds like you're still going to have more than a year to wait, but, but <laughs> thanks for the kind words on the book. So um, I'm, you know, I, I should have come up with an excuse to have you back before now anyway, but my excuse today is that um, you had a... Uh, a tweet storm recently about SoundCloud, and um, this will give me an opportunity to cover SoundCloud uh, in case I uh, don't get around to getting the founders on at some point. Um, let me let me start with this. Uh, are you a heavy SoundCloud user? Because I'm not, and I actually feel like I don't know many people who are. No, I'm not anymore. There was a time, um, you know, probably six years ago when they were doing their really big push. Mm-hmm. So 2011, 2012, when they were doing their, their, their first really big push. And I think when they kind of, uh, at, at the time when, when a lot of the creative community really started to embrace them, this was before they're, they're moving to podcasts and, and, mm-hmm. and before even, you know, the, the, the famous SoundClouders like, like, uh, like Chance and, and, and Kanye and others started using them. Um, I became aware of them because their user numbers kept going up, or at least they claimed they were going up. And I, I interviewed them a number of times and they were, I would discover things that way, but I've never been that heavy of a user primarily because, and I think we'll get into this as one of the, the challenges the company has faced for me, because of the nature of the content that's been uploaded to SoundCloud, it's not always reliable what's going to be there and what's not. So it can be a good way to discover, you know, DJs and it can mm. be just a good way to discover remixes and, and up and carpeting artists. But because of the nature of copyright and, and also just the whims of the creators, sometimes that stuff goes away. So there was a period of time when I would use it quite a bit. Um, but I've never been like I wouldn't call myself like a big member of the community mm. uh, or anything like that. It's just more been a company that I've, I've followed with interest rather than one that. I've been like, you know, like, like a Twitter or, or a Facebook or an Instagram or, or whatever that I've yeah. actively engaged with. Well, you know, in the interest of, of, of getting into this, let's set the table a little bit. So um, SoundCloud was founded in like 2007, 2008, somewhere around there uh, by two guys. I think they were from Sweden, but but SoundCloud's based out of Berlin, right? It's based out of Germany. Yes. Right. Um, so I was watching an early uh, interview with one of the two of them. There's Alexander and Eric, um, Alexander Young, is that? And Eric uh, Walforce or something like that. Sorry, sorry, I'm yes. butchering this. Um, and so I've always assumed, 
you know how everybody how the the convention today is uber for x you know uber for this i i had assumed that soundcloud was a very obvious like oh it's just youtube but for music and at least in this early video they were kind of pitching it as sort of like sort of like a Flickr or a wordpress for sound yes. so okay so do do you have any recollection of what they what they started I- as yeah, I mean, as it started out, I mean, like you said, it would become kind of apparent later on that it would be kind of a YouTube for audio. But at the time, I remember when I first was talking to them, and at this point, I guess when I first started talking to them was probably 2010, maybe 2011. Um, but they'd started to pivot a little bit. But if I recall, the early vision was, again, kind of more like a Tumblr or a Flickr where you would host your own audio. In fact, before I even interviewed them the first for the first time, and I think it was Alex who I who I talked with the most, um, I remember using SoundCloud as a place to upload audio to embed in stories. Like I remember there was a, a Mashable story. I can't remember the exact specifics now, but there was um, a, a pilot landing. There was some sort of like, F, you know, um, FAA communication on a tower and it kind of went viral and um, I uploaded the audio to SoundCloud and hosted it that way and I guess you could say in some ways that's kind of like what what YouTube started out as too right Right, like YouTube embeddability the embeddability and if you look at early YouTube videos before it became what it is now and before people started building brands and personalities and shows and content around it, a lot of the early YouTube stuff, including the very first YouTube video, was just stuff that people needed hosting for. And, and you know, the same is true of Flickr and um, of, of WordPress. So I think originally my first use of it was simply as, as, a, as a free way to host audio. Because that didn't exist. Well, and, uh, and, and actually, because since I have just been researching and writing about this, uh, in the in the timeline that actually fills a void because uh, MySpace was starting to fade around yes. you know two thousand seven two thousand eight, and you know famously MySpace sort of um, was championed by musicians and was a huge platform for musicians. So yes, as, MySpace yeah. exactly. So that was kind of the irony, right? Is that MySpace fill the niche at the time when it started of where established or up and coming musicians could post their music. And SoundCloud was for audio that wasn't, it was music, but it didn't have to be. I mean, hence the name sound, right? Right. So you would see a lot of spoken word things. You would see people actually doing podcasts, but I think at that time you had things like a, like, like, um, Blogcast radio and and um, a talk cast and things like that were, were more on, on the podcasting end. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, it is funny to think back, uh, looking back a decade, you know, MySpace was always really well known for music. And interestingly enough, when SoundCloud pivoted, I think, to really kind of going after musical creators, they were one of the first companies to really go after that MySpace audience because as MySpace faded and as, as Fox lost interest and then obviously eventually they sold it to um, the advertising company who then, you know, sold the, the email addresses to time. Um, <laughs> they, uh, you know, that community died and, and there were a number of startups that tried to kind of fill the void of, of uh, getting creators to go there. And I think that that, that SoundCloud, because it was free hosting, um, was able to establish itself as the successor in a lot of ways to what MySpace was when they started. But if I'm remembering correctly, and, and my memory could be could be wrong, I mean, I always saw it mostly as kind of a, a storage place for audio, um, not necessarily a music discovery engine, at least in the very early days. So in the very early days, the idea is that it is just like, it's like a flicker. It's like a, you know, it, it's, it's for creators or, or, or people like that. But so it's also sort of in the the height of the sort of uh the mashup culture yeah Um, and so like you know people give credit to soundcloud for the you know popularizing edm and and you know uh, underground uh hip-hop and and rap artists and things like that so is is that that's where that community starts to form by by giving the platform to these creators and then when the creators start to pop then then that's how the community forms around that Exactly. And I think I don't remember what year it was that they started the the reblog feature. But once it kind of gained the social network where you could follow people and you could reshare, um, you know, streams, I think that helped things go viral even more so. And that was fairly early on, but it wasn't there in, in the earliest days. Um, but I think that like when they really started SoundCloud's PR push really started, I guess, in in um probably 2011 is, is when I really recall kind of, again, getting kind of the outreach from the PR people and, and saying, look at how many millions of users we have and how many uploads we have and how many tracks are discovered. And they were really trying to kind of tell the story of the community. Um, and at that time, you know, um, the mashup culture, 
that sort of thing had kind of faded. But now social networks or the second degree, the, the, the second generation of social networks had really started to take off. And, and SoundCloud um, was able to build a community in a way that MySpace had sort of abandoned and that places like, you know, Tumblr weren't really designed for. YouTube is obviously video and, and YouTube had, you know, I would argue kind of commercialized itself and become a, a, a place for a certain type of creator um, already at that point. Facebook has never really had any interest in audio. Right. And, um, you know, and then you had Spotify, which wasn't in the United States until 2011, which meant that if you were an indie musician, although it wasn't that expensive to, to list yourself on Spotify, there wasn't really a point to, whereas, you know, SoundCloud was already available and had a way for people to, to release their tracks. And, and as we said earlier, embed, which I think was a huge thing. You know, they had that embedding feature early on, and that really made it easy for musicians to share with anyone. Um, and one thing I, I know from, you know, my years of covering uh, music startups is that a lot of musicians aren't great with tech. Mm. And that was that was one of the reasons why MySpace was so popular is that the tools were really easy to use. And they didn't have to be, you know, web developers. They didn't have to bother with that stuff. They could just upload their tracks and point people to their MySpace page. And SoundCloud kind of did the same thing where they could just upload their tracks and then if people wanted to embed, they could. They could embed their own social stuff. It would link in other places. You could connect your Facebook to it and it would post, you know, your SoundCloud things to, to Facebook. You could tweet. Um, and so that it made it really easy for creators to not just host content, but then share it as well. And so it kind of became kind of a, a turnkey platform for people who might be at a level where they're making some tunes, they want to build an audience, but they don't have the money or the technical wherewithal to have a whole, you know, hosted setup. Um, and maybe they aren't as advanced and, or, or as far along with what they're doing to have a full EP or an LP to go on a Spotify or, or an iTunes or a CD baby or, you know, um, Bandcamp or whatever. Um, I, I want to come back to the, the YouTube parallels, which we've already mentioned, but I, I want to poke a little bit about, so Spotify launches almost at exactly the same time. So almost, yes. from, almost from the, although it doesn't reach the U S right away, but from the angle of, um, you know, what's, what's our business model? What's this company going to be is, uh, we're starting to get into what are what are SoundCloud's problems? Is yeah. it is it a, is it an, uh, an instance of then when Spotify has this roaring success, then maybe they take their eye off their original vision and the, and pe there starts to be pressure. Maybe you guys should be like like Spotify. Uh, I think from investors, yes, because if you look at when they first raised money, which I'm uh, Wikipedia is correct, and I'm sure that it is in this case was April two thousand nine, um, and and then they. Um, you know, announced their first million users about a year later. Um, and then they announced their, their, their series, uh, B in, in 2011. At that point, Spotify had already raised significant amounts of money and had a much bigger user base. And so I think that, you know, when you, when you bootstrap and when you start up and you're maybe just kind of this DIY platform and anybody can upload and we're just the platform, right? We're not the destination. We're just, you know, we're, we're the flicker or whatever. Uh, you can do a lot of things, but you have a company with Spotify that not only started at the same time, but basically started in their backyard. You know, they both are, are, are technically, even though SoundCloud is based in Berlin before they opened U.S. offices, you know, they I think they were technically founded in Sweden. Um, that's obviously, you know, where, where Spotify is from. So you, you've got very close proximity. Um, and, and that was actually kind of a, a side note, kind of an interesting story of, of music startups in the in the mid-aughts, which was that most of them seemed to come from Europe. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think because U.S. startups had, with the exception of Lala, which Apple acquired and killed, um, and, and, you know, a couple of others, a lot of people were really scared by what had happened with Napster. Mm -hmm. And so you had Rhapsody, which, you know, uh, was very quickly acquired by Real Networks in, in, um, in 2003, you know, kind of launched what was the very first kind of streaming subscription music service. Um, but you, you didn't, that didn't get a lot of play. Um, the, the way that client worked, um, you know, because of technology at the time wasn't as advanced as what happens now. I think though that a lot of US investors had invested big time into things like mp3.com and, and Napster and um, some of the other services there, there were some, some others that I can't think of right now, you know, AOL made a bunch of acquisitions, Yahoo did as well, uh, that they kind of felt burned. And the music industry, at least in the United States with copyright and the RIAA and all that stuff, really wasn't open to figuring out legal music online. And, and it, you know, Apple iTunes didn't launch until 2003, um, with the music store and, and really didn't become a huge juggernaut. Um, and until a couple of years later, I think that 
there, the, the regulatory trade winds and just kind of the ability to get deals was probably better in Europe. Um, you know, Spotify was this huge success because they were able to do it legally, even though there, there are anecdotes that say that the, the way that their libraries originally started was from, you know, it ripped MP3s. Mm-hmm. They got deals with the labels fairly early on. You know, Last FM, which was a British company, before CBS acquired it, it was a similar story where they were able to, to, to make licensing deals. And, and although SoundCloud didn't get into the licensed waters until much later, and we'll talk about this longer, I think that was you know what kind of led to their downfall in some ways. I think that the culture in Europe around music startups was much different because you didn't have the intense lobbying pressure of a group like the RIAA, and that made it easier um, for, for people to do things that weren't you know, I mean, MySpace obviously was, was a platform, but that was always kind of recognized by the labels as kind of a promotional tool, the same way they they saw YouTube. Um, whereas, you know, Spotify was a complete paradigm shift in in music um, and, and in the way we consume music. You know, it changed everything. It was is legal Napster and and saying, you know, for this amount of money a month, um, or even for free, you know, for the pre plans, you have access to this entire catalog of music, but it's, it's a licensed proposition. It's, it's not something that you're, you know, you're going to Russian websites and spending 99 cents on an album, uh, which is something that I used to do in, <laughs> in, in the early aughts. Um, and, and SoundCloud, I think kind of benefited from that, but I do think to go back to your original question. Yeah. Um, I think invest, there was probably as soon as they started raising a significant amount of capital because they were from a similar place, because in some ways the services were kind of similar. They were kind of social, you know, their music discovery places. I, I, if I, if I invested in SoundCloud, I would have been like, well, why can't you be more like Spotify and what makes you different? You know, and, and, and we see the success that Spotify has and its valuation and, and its name recognition. Why aren't you like this? And, and I do think that you start to see as they raise more money, as they got bigger, um, the shift to within SoundCloud to kind of trying to figure out, are we this DIY platform or, um, for, for new and upcoming artists and for podcasters, or are we, um, a more generic music service where you can listen to anything? Yeah, I have, uh, I have Crunchbase open and it's, uh, 2011 is a $10 million round. Uh, Union Square Ventures is in there. Um, the next year is a $50 million round with, uh, Kleiner Perkins leading. So, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that would, I, I, obviously we, we ha- can only speculate cause we're not, we're not talking to the people right. involved, but that, that would line up in the timeline there. So, um, so you and I both, uh, talked about off air. There's a, a great, uh, article from the verge, which I hope to remember to put in the show notes that talks about some of this, um, that it, it, according to that article, it's around 2012 that they start the the reposting feature and yep. things like that. And then that's around that time that they're trying to start to get deals with record labels. So um, according to that Verge article, if, if sort of um, by benign neglect of this community had arisen on, on SoundCloud, it's around then when that sort of goes to hell. Yeah. <laughs> so because it becomes a weird thing, right? I remember talking to to, to the SoundCloud guys. Like I said, I th- think this, I'm pretty positive this is 2011 because I can see the office where I did the interviews like in my mind. Mm-hmm. I can like, okay. and so and, and I remember when we were in that office building, it might have been early 2012, but, but I think it was summer of 2011 um, was the first time I talked with them. I remember asking them about licensed content because from the beginning, kind of like, I mean, this is a very similar thing with YouTube. Um, a lot of the content uploaded was copyright infringed content without a doubt. Uh, you know, just like early YouTube was almost all, you know, daily show clips and movies and commercials and, and other stuff. You know, you had some people uploading original content, of course, but the big bulk of it and the reason why it took off, if we're going to be totally honest, at least about YouTube was because people could upload copyrighted content and, you know, YouTube had to create content ID and, and, and once Google bought them really kind of take things seriously. Um, I always got the distinct impression, and again, I don't know definitively. I can only say what my recollection was asking questions and, and you know, looking back on my own memory, which might be faulty. But I always got the distinct impression that SoundCloud kind of wanted both wanted it both ways. They wanted to have the benefits of people uploading any sort of content and getting users to access it. Um, but they didn't want to have to deal with the, the legal ramifications. And... At a certain point, if you are based in Europe and you don't have to follow some of you know, the copyright laws all over the world are different, but you know, you, you can be insulated a little bit. 
where it becomes difficult is when you start to say, well, we would like licensed content and we would like to have real brands and real artists associated with us. Because once you say that, then you can't have this anything goes upload culture, which is what had attracted so many people to SoundCloud, particularly DJs, because, you know, DJing is, is always, um, a, a weird gray area remixes. Um, there's tremendous amounts of case law. I'm not a lawyer, but there's tremendous amounts of case law going, you know, back, uh, to, to the eighties, but, but really a lot of it in the nineties and, and onward trying to kind of figure out what, uh, what constitutes a sample, how much can be used, how much can't be used. When you add the internet to it, it becomes even more complicated because is this an internet streaming, right? Do you play like a rate for, for internet radio, you know, like Pandora does, do you pay a certain on demand, right? Do you have to get ASCAP involved? Do you have to get BMI involved? Like there's a lot of layers to trying to, to, to deal with, with remixes and, and DJ sets. Um, and there aren't easy answers to it. And so since originally, you know, SoundCloud's business model, was to charge creators for uploading more space and, and to making custom playlists, you become, you have a, a interesting business quandary. And I remember asking about this being like, okay, well you're charging me $10 a month and I have all this space to upload music, but what if what I'm uploading is technically violating copyright? How do you deal with that? And for a long time, they didn't have any way to deal with it. And I think they were just kind of like, well, we'll just wait until enough people complain and then we'll do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the service became more popular and became used more frequently, you know, it's used for uh, for remixes and, and for, for DJ sets and for content that could be violating copyright. Sometimes it did, sometimes it didn't, um, became more complex. But I got the sense that SoundCloud didn't really care until that started impeding with their ability to raise more money and to do deals with bigger artists and brands because no major, no record label is going to work with you if you're allowing people to host content that violates their copyrights. Well, so uh, again, according to the the Verge article, they don't get their first major label deal till 2014. Right. With, I think with Warner, and then they only get like Universal and Sony two years after that. So they also yes. make the mistake of you shouldn't launch with something like that until you can get all the music, right? So by doing right. a piecemeal, they kind of screw we, themselves there. Well, you, right. I mean, and at the time, I mean, getting the Warner deal was a big deal. I mean, Warner... Although, in fairness, other than Spotify, and even Spotify it took some time, most of them have to have had to do it piecemeal. Like, like YouTube didn't have Warner for the longest time. Um, Warner would not work with them. You know, Universal is, is the biggest right, record right. label, um, you know, and, and they um, have been notoriously difficult to deal with. But, yeah, I think doing it piecemeal obviously makes it harder. But once they started making those label deals, that was, I think, really moving more towards the on-demand offering. When I'm talking about working with labels, I mean even in terms of saying, hey, you should host your content here or we should do a promotion um, for, for a single. Let's do as a, opposed- a, an Adele single, launch it here. Exactly. Right, okay. Right, or, 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 or a promo as opposed to – uh, you know, an a la carte listening offering, like those are different things. And so I think early on they were like trying to look at ways to work with brands and, and, and labels or in artists in smaller capacities that wasn't an a la carte sort of way to, Hey, you can have some of your content here, your, your, your demos or your work in progress. Um, and, and that made it harder because they didn't police content. Uh, and then when they started policing content, as the Verge article points out, you know, people who own copyright were often flagged and, and there were, there were issues and, and, um, you know, part of it, I, I feel bad for anybody who, ha- who legitimately had, you know, copyright claims, um, ownership of stuff, uh, who, who SoundCloud removed their content. But in some cases, if we're going to be brutally honest, you know, DJs are, are remixing stuff and, and they don't own the rights to that music. And it's always kind of a, a weird ground, you know, they have to get certain performance licenses if they're going to do it in a club that doesn't necessarily translate to the internet. And SoundCloud never did a good job of, of paying for that stuff or figuring out how that works legally. So in some cases, you're kind of like, well, you know, you're, this place is hosting your content for free in most cases um if they're going to remove it that sucks but you're probably you know technically violating somebody's somebody's copyright um but yeah you know i think when i was talking to them this was obviously before 2014 yeah they were interested in working with the labels but i got the distinct sense that that they weren't willing to do at least at that time what it would take for the labels to come on board because the labels you know soundcloud would kind of existed in this weird space where on on the totally illegal end you had um what was it um God, uh, the, the, the founder, um, ended up, uh, died a couple of years ago. It was, it was the base uh, out of university of Florida. Um, oh, I the, it was uh, groove shark. Okay. Okay. So, so, so on, on the most illegal end you had groove shark, which was absolutely like just straight up stealing music. Anybody could upload stuff and you could 
find it and, and it was served through a website and it was great, but it was, uh, it was totally, you know, wild, wild west. And then on the, and then on the total end, you have, you know, your, your Spotify's and your Mogs and your Rhapsodies and, um, uh, your, your RDOs. And then somewhere in the middle, you have SoundCloud where you have some original content and then they moved into podcasting and voice stuff, uh, fairly early on. And, and you also had people doing remixes and you had some original content, musical, musical content too, but there was a, a lot of stuff that probably violated copyright. And, um, you know, for a long time, SoundCloud kind of sat in that weird middle ground of, of, of legality. I think when, when it comes to legality is probably the wrong word, but when, um, you know, um, of, of, I guess compliance when it comes to licensed music. Well, it all, so, I mean, to sum this up in a way, like it, it sounds like, it, 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 they're in the middle of everything like yeah it, like from the, they would probably tell you well we're, we're we're trying a bunch of different strategic initiatives we're going to see you know what what gets traction yeah but really it was almost like they were trying to be everything to everybody and they never made a commitment to one thing uh, i i would totally agree with that i mean i think podcasts are a perfect example where um you know they really kind of build themselves as, as, as a, as a go-to podcast place. And their podcast plans were incredibly cheap, you know, especially if you compared it to places like Libsyn or, or, um, some other services. And, and this was before kind of the second wave of podcasting really right, right, took right. off. Like they were actually early to the game. Um, and, and a lot of people use them. Um, so early podcasting, you know, like, like 2005, 2006, you had, um, there were a array of free hosts and, and people that would do cheap stuff. And then people quickly realized, well, bandwidth costs money and, and, and this doesn't scale. And so they started, you know, charging or people started hosting on their own websites. And then, um, you know, after SoundCloud started doing things was kind of the big rise of, of podcast networks, um, where people are making a lot of money at podcast advertising things. And then you started seeing, you know, um, other companies really kind of coming out with, with more robust kind of options. But, you know, um, even with that, it, it was kind of like, you know, they all, they, they charged very little money for their podcasting packages, which to me was always odd. I was like, well, how, how can you continue to do this? Because even like a company like Libsyn, they don't tell you this, but if you sign up on their website, you know, you can pay a certain amount of money and, and, and upload stuff and, and do whatnot. But if you, if they recognize that your company has a name and has money behind it, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they'll start calling you and saying, oh, actually we need you to pay for this. You know, like, but I only have, you know, 800 subscribers and not everybody downloads things and I'm not violent, you know, I'm not using a ton of bandwidth. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're, you're you know, you're mashable. And so we, we want you to pay more. Uh, that's a true story, by the way, about mm -hmm. how Libsyn tried to um, strong arm mashable into paying more money. Um, but, you know, to my knowledge, SoundCloud never did that. Mm -hmm. You know, people use them um, gratuitously. So... But again, was, that's it, probably because they're just not paying attention to anyone. Yes. Yeah. This, this is what I'm saying. Going to your point. Exactly. It's like they just kind of they want to be everywhere and want to be everything for everyone without actually committing to anything. So I, I, I'm noticing that we're almost talking about them in, in, <laughs> in the past tense. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, so the situation is that they, they've raised almost 200 million dollars in, in six rounds. I think maybe there might even be debt financing on top of that that would be yes. more right um and as far as we know the rumor is is that they probably only have enough money through the fiscal q4 exactly. which is like weeks away at this point and there's I been mean, layoffs yeah. recently and yeah. yeah they let off they let off 40 percent of their staff they shut down the office in san francisco they shut down the office in i think it was london um and you know they have publicly said that the amount of runway they have left is more than what was reported. But the reports came from people who were at the all hands meetings. So you, I, I don't know. I mean, I wrote an article, um, for Gizmodo in March called streaming music services from, uh, most screwed to least screwed. And it was kind of a ranking of, of every streaming or, or digital music service and, 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 you know, what's their likelihood of survival. And the whole thing was predicated by the fact that SoundCloud had raised $70 million in debt funding. They weren't able to do uh, a traditional funding round, and so debt funding basically means we're taking out a loan. Yeah. Um, that's not a good thing when you've already raised $200 million. It's not a good thing. Like some, Sometimes there are cases, like Spotify did some debt funding, and uh, you know sometimes there are cases where the business scenarios will work out. This was not one of those situations. It, it, it looked really bad for them, and this was in March, before the most recent kind of round of troubles. But this whole article that I wrote, and it was very long, was predicated by the fact that SoundCloud was frankly, um, can, can I curse or? Oh yeah, no, that's fine. Like, that's okay. fine. 
Okay, but the whole thing was predicated on the fact that SoundCloud is fucked. Yeah. Like literally, that's the first sentence in in the um in the story, and that was the reason the story came to be. Is I looked at this and I was like, well, SoundCloud is fucked, because if they're raising this much debt funding and their their SoundCloud Go you know option, their 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 take on Spotify isn't working. Like they are really not doing well, and they're not alone in that. There are a lot of you know music services. You know, uh, Pandora is is not doing well. You yeah. know, Title's not doing yeah. well. You know, they're they're uh you know there there's still some things like Deezer, which you you're not really sure like what their status is you know um it, it's a difficult business you know even even stalwarts like like iHeartRadio um again this is kind of the, the downside of like debt funding like they have billions and billions of, uh, of, of, of money and loans due um and and it's unclear if they're going to have the money to pay for it so you know um regardless of of what their current situation is which looks bad and, and no matter how their CEOs try to spend it uh, spend it like it was clear at least from my perspective in March, that things were really bad for them. And so I, I, I don't want to speak of them in the past tense already, but I do think that some of the bluster and the PR campaign that they're doing, oh, we're not going anywhere, we're fine, is also a little bit naive. Because um, as I said on Twitter, like Chance the Rapper is going to save SoundCloud <laughs> as much as Justin Timberlake saved MySpace. Right. It's just it doesn't matter. Like 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 chance chance, you know, giving them a shout out during the Grammys was amazing. And being an ambassador for them, that's awesome. But a, he doesn't have enough money to actually bail the company out. Um, and if he did, that would probably be a bad investment on his part, right? right. Uh, and B, like, that, it, it's it's too late. The momentum has shifted. Like, their, their big differentiating feature in the early days of kind of being a place where anybody could upload things have has kind of shifted. You know, um, uh, EDM artists have moved other places. As, as that Verge article pointed out, you know, because of the way they neglected their community, even things like, you know, the reblock systems were were abused and kind of made irrelevant. And so, you know, you can kind of say draw a similar parallel in some ways uh, to, to what's happened at Tumblr. You know, I, I don't think it's quite as bad at Tumblr, but, you know, a lot of the, the core community and the people who are really involved in, in making it a good place haven't been there. Um, and and has, there hasn't been as much focus because, frankly, there have been other issues with the company. But where it's been worse at SoundCloud because I feel like, as we were saying before, they were trying to do so many different things. They never really had a direction. And um, that makes it hard to have any sort of loyalty. So people might have fond memories of SoundCloud and people who have used them as a as a you know free audio host or, or a very cheap audio host might be annoyed that they now have to find someplace else to put their stuff. Um, but the like, why would you be loyal to SoundCloud? What like what brand equity does SoundCloud have? And that was kind of the point of my, my tweet storm, which was like, who buys this? I don't know who buys this and I don't know why. Because Spotify would have made the most sense, and that deal didn't work out. Twitter's invested a lot of money in them, but Twitter has big problems. Well, right. And, and what was what were they even? That was just last year, seventy million dollars. Yeah. Like I don't know. I have no idea. Twitter doesn't seem like the smartest company in the world. But. No, I mean, again, I mean, you know, I I I, meant, I brought it up. I was like, remember Twitter Music, and a lot of people were like, no, what was Twitter Music? Right. <laughs> exactly. It exactly. It was it was a very expensive failed. Um, a, a attempt at getting into music, and and you know YouTube could make some sense, Google could make some sense. I wrote in um, in my story uh, from March. I said, you know, um, the fact that it couldn't close a funding round and had to raise debt instead speaks volumes. Moreover, SoundCloud Go, the premium product, hasn't exactly pulled in paying users. In fact, the company had to launch a dumbed down, cheaper version last month. Here's a bet: within 12 months, Spotify or Google is going to buy SoundCloud. And if, if they are acquired, I still feel like those are the only two options. Um, maybe, Spotify maybe, and Google, you say? Yeah. I mean, because I, I think Apple? that... What about Apple? No. Why, what would Apple right. get from it? Well, you know what? Actually, one of the things, because I, I, I'm going through the tweet storm right now, like um, yeah. what you left out is they, like the record labels own quite a bit of 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 SoundCloud now because in order to get those deals, they yep. had to give away equity. So exactly, they might be motivated to step in there and except maybe but but what what value does the record label have i mean at this point the labels really hate the the um you know the windowing strategy of, of releasing um exclusives to one platform mm -hmm. like 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 universal lucian grange like put like after after frank ocean did what he did uh with, with blonde on apple music he like basically released like a decree saying you cannot choose to just have your exclusive on on one platform. If you're going to be streaming, you've got to be on all of them. And and some now that that's just universal. Other smaller labels or, um, or or other groups can have different things, and they can have windowing options for sure. But the labels themselves have seemed to kind of move away from owning their own platform. Um, moreover, 
I don't think the record labels are that smart, but I think they're smart enough to realize that if they bought SoundCloud, they could not turn that into the pure destination where this is the only place you can go to get our music. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, why would you give up the 100 million users that that Spotify has or, or, or the 30 million users that Apple Music has? Like, why would you forsake that just because you own part of this company? From... From SoundCloud's perspective, and again, we're, we're, we'll have to project ourselves into their yeah. heads, but uh, like one of one of your tweets is like, um, SoundCloud's biggest problem was that it raised a ton of money for a niche service. So yes. on one level, it's just you made a bet on audio, and so far at least audio, it's not video. It's not the same thing. It's not, not the same it's thing. It's not an easy, or easy thing to monetize. Right. You don't have the ad market for audio the way that you do with the video. I mean, you have some people with podcasts who have been successful, mm-hmm. you know, uh, networks like, like Midroll and some other services that have been able to do well. But we haven't seen the sorts of, you know, right now, CPMs, you know, cost per, right. um, uh, you know, thousand, yeah. uh, uh, you know, um, ad rates are, are the highest on video. They're basically non-existent. I mean, I don't know what they are on audio, but um, it's you have to have a tremendous amount of volume. It doesn't really scale the same way. And... Um, and it's difficult to, um, I think, um, you know, when, when you had a niche again of, 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 of indie artists that nobody's discovered, it makes it really hard to sell ads on it. Like, how am I going to sell ads on yeah. something that might get 300 views? Because the, 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 the thing that, that makes YouTube work ultimately is volume. But even YouTube, we don't know how much money it actually makes for well, Google. Well, you know what? Put a, put a pin in that because, I, I, again, yeah. I want to come back to that as, as like a parallel story. Sure. Um, the, the other tweet that you had that I, I thought was really uh, – insightful was that it's almost like they fell into this mistake that everybody sort of in the last decade made when they realized that uh, with these social networks and things like that, your potential market might be every human being on the planet. (laughs) So it's like you just, you build the product, you get users. Uh, Step two, I don't know, shrug shoulders. Step three, um, you're you're at scale and you have 2 billion users and surely you're profiting at that point. But it's, they never never found the step two and they were just kind of, they were kind of just hoping that it would magically reveal itself at some point. Exactly. They they, they hoped that they, they would like, question mark, question mark, and then profit. And, and it's hard. A lot of companies haven't been able to find that, you know, very few have Facebook found it. Um, you know, YouTube, are you, we'll talk about that later has, um, but Twitter still has not in a lot of ways, you know, they're, they're earning as we record this call, they just released their earnings there, their user growth, uh, declined. Um, they are certain revenue is up, but they still aren't profitable. You know, it, it's, it's kind of proves that you can have all the users in the world, but if you don't have a business model and you don't have any way to, to monetize it, it's ultimately worthless. I mean, going back to, but that's you, what always are, bothers me about that is that again, like, and that's why I framed it that way. Well, you could potentially have every human, all 6 billion people could be a user. Well, but why does everybody have to go for like to me that's the strategic mistake it's either you get the grand slam or you're a failure like i feel like you could be a smart social network or a smart service like this and and decide to be a profitable niche if you make yes. certain decisions you know what i mean you absolutely could i mean a great example of that would be bandcamp bandcamp right, made right. a very conscientious decision to charge and they've made a very good business for themselves. You could even say, uh, you know, services like Patreon and and people who've used that, you know, to, to crowdfund in those ways. But like, I think Bandcamp is a great example. Like, they have a platform and a publishing platform for musicians, and they make money. But they made a conscientious decision from the beginning not to be going after every person. They said, we have a specific audience we want to go after. We want to be a platform for label for, for musicians who don't want to go through the typical label process. And we will make it easy to publish your music and to have it available digitally. And we will handle the store aspect. And we will help you, you know, get it, you know, your, your, your stuff distributed to other places. We will take care of that and you will pay us for our service. Um, they don't have tens of millions of users. They don't need to. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, SoundCloud, I think because of what we were saying from the early days, they were, were they chasing Spotify? Were they chasing YouTube? Were they chasing who knows what, you know, they had this venture funding. They really, a lot of times I think what happens is the companies raise, you know, significant amount, amounts of capital and immediately see, okay, well now the next phase is hyper growth and that will help us get more capital, which will help give us more time for a business model. And, um, sometimes that works out. And sometimes as what we're seeing, it doesn't. Um, and I think what happened with SoundCloud is 
as they kind of realize that it's difficult to monetize content that might not belong to you um, and, and, and might in some ways have some copyright issues, um, you start to get into license deals. And at that point, you now are a commodity player where you have to pay certain royalty rates and you have, you're not going to get a better deal than anybody else. And you have to compete against um, competitors that are better capitalized and have user bases that have become accustomed to them for longer periods of time. And so, you know, SoundCloud started out as like a really great niche of kind of, you know, anybody can upload audio and it can be kind of, you know, they eventually kind of created a, a community around that. And then as they started to realize, well, we need to make money, um, they started to kind of look more like any other music service. And the the part that made it special isn't special enough to get people to pay. Like, and, and I mean, it's interesting because even in the outcry when, you know, the, the, the rumors started that SoundCloud is having serious, serious problems and you see this kind of outpouring of support, the first reaction of the Internet is, OK, well, let's back this up. Um, you know, mm. let's get the Internet Archive and right, let's right, right. back this up. I think that's really telling that it wasn't let's all pay for SoundCloud. Mm. Yeah, by the way, Jason says that uh, it's a petabyte of music. Jason Scott. Yeah. So it's it's kind of unlikely. <laughs> it's unlikely. Well, not only that, but um, uh, SoundCloud stepped in and said, don't do this. Mm. And so they're not going to. Um, and and that, that's that's their prerogative. But I, but I think that to me, that was really telling where the, the, you know, the community's response was not, well, let's all find a way to, to pay for this service and pay for this community, which you see sometimes. And and look, most of the time when that happens, people aren't actually going to show up with their money anyway. Like it, it, it's, it's you know, a bullshit. Cool but if, if, but if, that um, wasn't the response. If um, Tumblr ever went away, I almost feel a hundred percent that somehow the community would band together and, and, and somehow save it. Monetarily. Somebody would. Yeah. I, I agree. I think that someone would come in and, and swoop in and save Tumblr. I think you're right. I think that that has become an important enough archive and, and an important enough place of creative, you know, um, you know, um, ex, you know, expression that people would step in and do that. Um, would it be as, as, you know, able to do all the same things that can do now? Probably not. But I think, I think you're right. People would step in. And look, maybe I'm sure there are plenty of people who would be willing to pay for SoundCloud, but not enough. And 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 that that's the irony too is that SoundCloud tried to have different business models over the years. You know, they they tried ads, they tried SoundCloud Go, which is their a la carte service, where I bet they're making very little money on it because again, most of those services are a commodity at this point. You have to pay a certain percentage to the labels, and if you cost more than $9.99, nobody's going to use you, and you're up against you know very well capitalized companies like Apple who never has to make a dime on Apple Music and it just keeps people in the ecosystem and very well-funded companies like Spotify, which again are still unprofitable, but are so big that, you know, never say too big to fail. But at this point, I think Spotify is too big to fail, at least in this period of time, just because the labels themselves would be very, very hurt if Spotify went away because it's such a huge percentage of, of um, music listenership, which now, you know, is, is attached to the billboard um, things and whatnot. But, you know, you have a SoundCloud where you have um, at one point you had a very engaged user base and you still have users, but they're not loyal to it the same way. And, um, you know, they what they were charging creators to use their service didn't offset the costs. And so I, I, I don't know, I, I think, and I, I would like your perspective on this. Like, I wonder if they could have, part of me feels like the problem was growing too quickly, too fast and trying to, you know, compete against some of the bigger players who'd raise more money. And then part of me feels like it was kind of a business model problem where they, they weren't charging enough or, um, you know, they didn't have realistic expectations about what this service really was. Well, you know, I think my speculation would be, and this is where I'll bring the YouTube Mm-hmm. So it didn't help SoundCloud that at the same time it gets started, you have this example of Spotify that's louder, more successful. In the same way that it's never helped Twitter that that Facebook is louder, more successful. You know, people have argued, for, you know, ad infinitum about <clears throat> how Twitter should be different and, and, and embrace how it's different than Facebook. Don't try to be Facebook. But at the same time, I think I would speculate that what hurt them is the YouTube example because YouTube's only in existence for like 18 months before Google comes in and, and, and acquires them and basically solves their problems. Now, I mean, that's that's not giving credit to people like Chad that, you know, went, went, went on to Google and, and stayed at, at working on YouTube to make it successful. 
But I feel like I would guess that when we're saying, well, how come they never came up with a business model? Like, it feels like they were always hoping that one would show up. And then it also feels like they were hoping for their Google to come along. Someone mm-hmm. that had big enough pockets yep. to, to solve the problems, like dealing with the record labels and solve the problem. Like, because essentially, why does you, again, we don't know YouTube's numbers and if it, how profitable it is. I got to believe it's profitable on some level at this point. But, but what solves YouTube's problem is they got married to the company that figured out how to make money at scale on the web in the big way for, for the very first time. And they get married to Google that has done AdWords and AdSense and things like that. So I, I, would, I would speculate that they, they've just been kind of biding their time waiting for somebody to come yeah. save them. I think you're right. I mean, in fact, that was the rumor, you know, when they were in talks with Spotify was that they wanted more money than Spotify was willing to give. And so Spotify backed out and said, no, we're not going to do this. And they might have overplayed their hand. And there's some speculation that maybe, you know, they will be in dire enough circumstances that you will see a Google or a Spotify step in and say, okay, fine, now we will acquire you. I mean, I think from um, uh, from a product perspective, Spotify would be the best fit because what you would do as you'd already have the label deals. So that would, you know, be negated, would be negated. You wouldn't have to those, deal with that those anymore. Those could be grandfathered in. You wouldn't have to renegotiate. You wouldn't have to. Well, no, not even that. But like you wouldn't even need to bring that content over. Right. Um, okay. most, most of the time, the, the deals do have to be renegotiated when it's acquired. Like I know when Beats Music was acquired by Apple, mm-hmm. they still had to go back and, and, and renegotiate with the, all the deals with the labels. But this is more of a sense that they wouldn't even have to deal with that stuff. They could just get rid of that thing. And then mm-hmm. you could bring over your original content that isn't violating stuff. Um, and, and host that and, and you could, you know, because, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure how, you know, some of the Spotify licensing things work, but you know, they have a pretty robust cover community and, and people who pay, you know, whatever ASCAP rates are to, to list things, they might be able to do remixes in, in a, in a more official way that way too. But I think that you will be able to take the underground music, um, the, the, the non EDM kind of stuff and, and bring that over quite well. And, and also, potentially have you know kind of a a a a similar destination for for discovery on those things so i think that that spotify would make a lot of sense like just just bring that over now give spotify an additional instant like an additional feature and an advantage over you know apple or amazon or 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 whoever by saying well we've got this original stuff too that you can only find here that you're not going to find other places um you know and likewise i mean google um you know when they acquired um uh what's the company um what did the company do? No, they 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 were they were the music service. Uh, oh shoot! Um, it turned into the pod. It turned into Google Play Music. Um, let me find it. One second. Um, I'll edit this out. Songza, so you... yeah, okay. edit it. Yes. <laughs> when when Google acquired Songza, yeah, you know at that point Songza kind of had created this great playlist community and kind of this this great like like theme music and and how Songza got away the rights issues the original version of songs before amy street bought it was similar to spotify and that you could kind of upload anything you wanted and embed it and then very quickly they realized oh well there are copyright issues and so they used kind of a pandora model rather than pay per play um where you can choose what you do it's kind of like like pandora or eight tracks where you pay a certain rate to have things in a playlist but you the, the user itself can't play on demand and but but they created this great curated you know playlist selections and and songs that was great and and Google has done a really nice job integrating you know all the best parts of Songza um, into into Google Play Music and and even you know taking members of that team to overseeing what they're doing with podcasts so you could see there too if Google wanted to to kind of you know bringing the original content in um, I, I I don't know how much how much people see Google as a this as a destination for music, especially, you know, um, underground and, and emerging artist music. I think, again, Spotify would fit a lot better. But from what we've heard, or at least what I've heard kind of, you know, rumblings about, I have no firsthand or even secondhand knowledge, um, was that, you know, the, they wanted too much money. Um, but but I think you're right. I think that it feels like I think I think you're very astute that they were looking for for their Google moment. They were looking for their company to say, here's 1.6 billion dollars or whatever it was that Google paid for YouTube, and this this will this is now your business model, and we don't have to worry about the rest of it because we have so many other lines of business that we can make money otherwise. I mean, you know, similar to kind of you know Apple bought Beats and got Beats Music with it, um, and used that as the underpinnings for Apple Music. Apple Music 
never has to make a dime. Um, if it mm-hmm. does, that's great. Right. But it really primarily exists as as a successor to iTunes, so that people are still in the ecosystem. It's never like it's going to be, you know, the the core thing that makes Apple money. That's that's the iPhone. Um, and and the thing that makes Google money is advertising and search. Um, so you know, YouTube adds to that by becoming a huge search destination. How much individually the service itself might make is almost irrelevant because it's fulfilling, um, you know. It is helping prop up other parts of the business. Right. I said in the book that ultimately Google bought YouTube because it, it was a search issue. If if, yeah. if Google's going to be the, the search company, how can they not be involved in, in search for video? But um, two, two, two more quick things. One thing that you say uh, to, to sort of wrap this up in, in, in your tweet storm is even if SoundCloud gets bought, it's unlikely to continue to exist as it does now. So yes. even if it gets saved, uh, guys, maybe you want to find places for your for your music. <laughs> totally, totally. I mean, for instance, like it, let's say Spotify bought it. I can't see Spotify still maintaining SoundCloud.com. Can you? Like that wouldn't make any sense. Yeah. You would bring the content over and integrate that into into your search. Um, but you know, maybe take some of the ideas, but. No, they wouldn't bring the rest of it over. And 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 when it comes to things like podcasts, which aren't making them any money, I don't know if they would even continue to want to host that. I mean, I know Spotify has gotten more into some podcast stuff, but but they, I don't think Spotify wants to just be a directory of assorted music things. Um, and I mean, I think the same thing for Google. You know, you, if if any company bought it, I think they would try to integrate it into their existing services. They wouldn't r- let SoundCloud as it exists remain. And so if they do get bought, if that's like the, your your best case scenario. I still don't think the community you've built, the usernames you've built, that that fan base is going to continue. Um, I think that's, you know, podcasters can can likely you know move other places and and can go to other networks or host on Squarespace or do whatever. Um, I think it's it's more problematic for for bands and musicians that maybe have found fans that way because this is kind of and this is kind of a lesson I think for anybody who uses someone else's platform to build their own business is that to a certain extent you don't control it so if you're a band or 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 a dj or somebody who's built your audience primarily on on soundcloud um it's not like you have their email addresses it's not like you have their names um it's you know how you're going to convert them into other platforms is a challenge and and that's true for for people who build on anybody solely built based on anybody's business i mean people who you know primarily publish to spotify are kind of in the same scenario where which is you know, you have this many listeners, but it's not like you have any clue about who they are or how to target them specifically. I mean, it's that, not like that you have their email address that extends to people that make their money off of YouTube to absolutely find stars, yeah, followers. Uh, if you if you only have followers, that's not enough to move somewhere else with because right, the followers are on that platform. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. Last last question on this. This is a little a little more complicated though. Um, Ever since uh, Napster, mm-hmm. to me and a lot of other people, I thought the future was—I thought Napster was the herald of a future where, well, the, okay, this is great. Um, this will be a digital platform where independent artists can surface, can find an audience, and 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 things like SoundCloud have done that. But then I thought the next logical step was, well, clearly someone will create basically a virtual record label we won't need the record labels anymore because now in the digital era what do you need them for and the distributions there um and so because you have covered uh music and digital music and all this stuff why we're approaching 20 years on on napster (laughs) why why do why is there no virtual record if i'm an artist that's coming up today why can't I just do it all? Why can't the next Adele do it through somebody and and own it themselves? And why has that not happened yet? It it is a little bit, but it's hard to get the exposure you need. Okay, so you have an artist like Lord who was kind of discovered on SoundCloud mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and was really big on SoundCloud and then got signed and then was huge on Spotify too, like Spotify called you know that, that that royals was a huge hit before anybody else did and and you have things like that happen all the time where you have songs kind of bubble up and, and people discover things that way the problem is i mean it's kind of the same thing youtube runs into this all the time is that to get exposure you need 
you need money, you need scale to stand out. I think that a lot, the part of the, the problem, like, you know, I guess it was probably 10, 12 years ago when, when the, the long tail was like a big yeah, thing yeah, and, and yeah. everybody talked about how the long tail was going to be the future of the internet right. and the future of the world. And that kind of worked for a period of time until what happens is that when the barrier to entry is so low, um, standing out becomes even more difficult. So you have certain people have, have had the luck and, and the fortune of being early and being able to kind of just be discovered that way. I mean, you saw that even with MySpace, right? Like mm-hmm. there was a, who, who was it? It was a, Tequila, tequila. Uh, tequila. <laughs> well, no, I was actually thinking Lily oh, Allen. Oh, um, or, or all those emo bands like Fall Out yeah. Boy. Yeah. 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 Adele actually. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I first heard on MySpace uh, before 19 came out and, and then I, and then she got, you know, Saturday night live and, and that was kind of, you know, her, her big breakthrough moment. And, um, at least in the United States, I think she would kind of bigger things, but, but she was, you know, kind of bubbling up. It was easier than, or easier to stand out then because fewer people were doing it just mm-hmm. the same way. Like where, if you started out on YouTube 10 years ago and you were successful, you probably had a better chance of building a big audience than if you were trying to do it today. If you're trying to start out, if you're trying to start out on YouTube today, you need a lot more money. You need a lot more investment because there's so many other people in the in the crowd that you've got to stand out against. To answer your question, I don't know how necessary labels are for a lot of people, except that the 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 value that they claim they can give is exposure. So if you are with a label, they can organize buys on Spotify and they can get you promotional material and they can help you know get placement and and put you on playlists and and get. Um, you know, exposure the same way that they would, you know, with radio plays in, in a different era. Um, and it's more difficult to do that all on your own. That said, I do think that, you know, SoundCloud for its legacy will be, you know, however long it lasts in its current form or not, will be that it was a place as, as many failed business decisions as they might have made from my perspective. It was a place where artists that that were not in the system were able to break out and get discovered. And that's really special. Um, but I do think that it is interesting that we all kind of assumed that the, the, the modern record label, um, would die and it's kind of persisted. Instead, what happens is that you have all these sub labels that are just ultimately owned, you know, these imprints that are just ultimately owned and distribution rights are covered by the big guys. Um, but I mean, I do know bands that, that aren't super successful, but are building audiences by strictly being on Spotify. Um, there, there's, there's a band that I really like that's based out of New York called 8090 that I found on my Spotify, you know, weekly discover playlist. And they were a band that I think they'd only released one song. Um, Spotify featured them, um, on one of their more popular playlists. It was kind of an editorial curation thing and they got a lot of listeners and they have an EP out and they're recording their main album and they're touring and they basically built their entire, they, they're not on iTunes. They're not on any other services. They basically built their entire brand, you know, word of mouth from Spotify. Now, how long that lasts for them and, and it, whether that's ultimately a good business decision uh, from a band perspective, you know, to, to be all in on one platform or not, I don't know. Um, but I do know that I've discovered bands that way, the same way I discovered things through Napster, you know, where I would browse other people's hard drives and see, oh, this sounds like an interesting band name. I'd like to try this. And I like these other things people are doing. So I, I, I don't know. It, it's hard. Um, I, I was a few years ago, if you'd asked this question, I would have said, oh, I think that the influence of labels and the importance of labels is is less and less. Mm-hmm. And and I think on a fundamental le- level, that's probably true. And that's one of the reasons why artists at this point don't make their money on music. They make it on touring and on merchandise. But I do think that, you know, the, the value prop that a label has still, and the reason why they still exist is because whether it's accurate or not, they can do oftentimes a better job of promoting the band or the artist, um, than just trying to go it alone. Um, since you've been so kind with your time, I'm, I'm about to let you go, but, um, I wanted to ask you, do you miss New York yet? Because I, you abandoned I do. us. You abandoned, I abandoned us. New York. I miss New York every day. I miss New York so much. Um, I love Seattle. I live in Seattle now, and it's and, and it's great. Um, you know, the Pacific Northwest is clean, and there's nature, and there's mountains, and it's it's weird, you know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, to to actually be in like a a bigger ish city, but still have nature, it's 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 a weird thing to see trees and grass and right or uh, mountains in the horizon, mountains, That's what mount, yeah, mountains yeah. and lakes, and and all kinds of stuff. It's great. But um, yeah, I miss New York a lot. I miss I miss the hell out of New York, especially when it, I mean Seattle's known for its music, but 
for for me like there there's still nothing that beats like New York music venues and and everybody comes through New York so yeah I miss what it. A, what about the the blogging rat race? Do you miss that? A little bit, yeah. You know, I miss. Um, I love doing this. I love talking about this sort of stuff. I mm. still do my podcast, my tech podcast, Rocket, every week. But yeah, I, I do. You know, I miss um, having the opportunity to kind of opine on things, whether I'm right or wrong. Um, there are parts of it I don't. You know, it, it, it's hard. It's a slog. I did it for ten years, and it's it's sometimes difficult to figure out like how is my hot take going to be better than this hot take, or or you, work you, really hard on a story and somebody else's gets gets it published first. You, you don't know. have to answer this, but did. Uh... You know, did you jump ship because at the right time? Because maybe is 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 that is that getting to be a, a harder rat race than? It's than a... Media is a difficult business. Yeah. I was very fortunate, um, and and I worked at, at places that might you know I I didn't personally ever experience layoffs, although colleagues that I had did. But you know, just since I left media um, as my day job, I think I'll always be like a, a media person at heart. Um, you know, there have been major layoffs um, ac- across digital and, and even legacy brands, and, and that's always hard to see. So I don't know if I left at the right time or not, because, you know, tech isn't a sure thing either. You know, nothing's a sure thing, but um, it, it gets hard. It, 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 and and there's always a new generation of reporters who are younger and hungrier. It's, it's not dissimilar in some ways from, um, from the music, it, what I was talking about before. Like, when I started blogging 10 years ago, um, if you wanted to be a journalist, you wanted to write for print. And that was kind of how that, that was what people aspire to do. Mm-hmm. So people who had journalism degrees, which I don't have, I, I, I studied film and, and, um, and, and business, um, you know, you would, you would go to J school and you would get an internship at a magazine and, and you would, you would want to write there. And I was like, well, I want to write, but I, a, I'm never going to get through the door of these print publications, no matter how good of a writer I am. They're not going to look at me because I didn't go to Columbia or wherever. Um, and B, I was like, I actually think this 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 new media thing is the future. And that was the the avenue I took. I was like, okay, I'm I'm going to uh, um, take this this route, which at the time, you know, um, didn't have as much competition and where you could kind of build a name for yourself and stand out. And if you were lucky enough and maybe talented enough a little bit, um, a lot of his luck had the right opportunities. You could build a name for yourself and then go on to bigger things. And that's what I did today. It would be very difficult. Like I, I wouldn't, you know, everybody who comes in, you graduating from J school or, or even undergrad who wants to be in media, most people want to write for digital publications. That's, you know, the, 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 the legacy print side, although there's still some cachet there, especially at certain brands, it's not like where people see the future is. And so as a result, um, the competition is much harder to even, to even stand out and get your name in the door. And so, um, you have to be, you have to work twice as hard or, or, or be twice as good or, or be twice as lucky to even have that opportunity. And so, um, I was fortunate, you know, that I, I was kind of in the right place at the right time. But when I look at media now, yeah, I mean, it's hard because it, it's shifting and, and everybody is pivoting to video. And at a certain point, that will work or it won't. And, you know, you have to get new skill sets. And so I um, I but I do miss it. I, 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 I miss the the the, the slog. Um, <laughs> there are also things I don't miss. Yeah. You know? Well, um, then final question uh, he asks over this fine Microsoft product known as Skype. <laughs> uh, uh, what, what are you doing at Microsoft? <laughs> So I, I'm a, I'm a, a senior content project manager, and I work on a, a product called uh, Microsoft Virtual Academy, and it's really cool. It's um, free online training um, available to anybody. You can go to, to um, uh, mva.microsoft.com, and uh, basically, you know, it's like just-in-time learning. So it's it's kind of like lynda.com-style stuff, which, yes, is also owned by Microsoft. I know it gets confusing. Uh, but to teach people, you know, um, developer or IT pro skills. So I'm, I'm working on content strategy around that and helping create courses and, and kind of uh, – uh, work trying to figure out, um, you know, um, how uh, corporate America works. Um, but yeah, I know it, it, it's, it's cool. You know, it's, um, it's a different sort of content, but it's still content. And, and that's kind of the interesting thing I've learned is that content strategy, whether, you know, you're, you're doing an editorial calendar for, um, you know, um, coverage around a, a certain tech event or a certain news cycle, um, and, and content strategy around, you know, creating learning content to help people, you know, skill up and, and, and get, um, the, the latest certifications or, or just, you know, insights that they might need to, you know, get a new job or, or just expand, um, their own, um, interests. Um, the, the, the strategy aspect is kind of the same regardless. Um, the, the approach can be different and, and how all that works is different, but, um, some of the fundamentals, at least that's what I learned 
uh, are, are similar. That's That's been the most interesting thing that I found is that, you know, I, I came into this job um, not with the sort of background that you would often see somebody in my role have, um, but having worked, you know, in, in editorial and, and done kind of worn many hats and, and kind of analyzed different things, um, I had, you know, uh, more experience than I would have thought, you know, project managing things, um, that I didn't realize I was really project managing, um, in editorial has, has, has worked out. So it's, it's been, it's been good so far. It's still very new, but, um, but it, but it's, it's, it's been a fun challenge. Uh, well, I think most people know that you're, you're film underscore girl at, on Twitter. Yep. Uh, but if you didn't know that and you wanted to, I, I wanted to check out many, one of your many uh, podcast endeavors, which, which podcast <laughs> should I check out? Yeah. So the only one that's active right now is Rocket. I know I, I, uh -huh. I have like four listed in my Twitter profile, but Rocket uh, is the only one that's active right now. And I do that every week with Brianna Wu and Simone de Rochefort. And we kind of talk about um, some of the latest tech news of the week, um, you know, and from, uh, we call it accelerated geek conversation. And we kind of come at it from a slightly different perspective than maybe a lot of your, your other tech uh, podcasts. So if you uh, want to hear uh, three uh, three girls who have opinions and like to have a good time talk about you know tech and culture? Uh, that's a that's a that's the pod for you. And follow her on Twitter if you want to um, you want incisive commentary on any of the Bachelor uh, family yes. of products. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the, God, this season has been really difficult to live log. Um, because, but yes, yeah, you, you can definitely follow me or, or mute me on Monday nights. <laughs> um, I, 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 I think a lot of my, my friends in New York are, are both happy and sad that I'm now three hours behind, mm -hmm. which means that on Monday nights, like all my bachelor tweets, like everybody's already asleep. <laughs> so nobody cares. Um, well, and Christina, if you ever, uh, do that, um, 90s Brit pop, uh, podcast that I think yeah. we talked about Twitter on. We talked about that. Yeah. yeah. On Twitter. No, I think, I think, I think we need to do like a one-off at yeah, least. Yeah. 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 Because the, the blur, uh, and Oasis rivalry has yes. to have, have a dedicated thing. And, Elastica, and, uh, suede, super furry, and all, yeah, all that. Yeah. Radiohead, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah no, yeah. There's, there's, there's so many, it's, it's a great era of music. Um, I, uh. I got this special edition of a, a OK Computer mm -hmm. um, on vinyl with the the audio cassette, and mm -hmm. it's one of the cooler things that I've ever had. But it also makes me feel so incredibly old that oh, that album is twenty years old. All I mean, all stuff. these albums, yeah, yeah. All, all these albums are now twenty plus years old. It's crazy. It's like, are you serious? Like, yeah. we're now reaching the place where we're almost twenty years away from nineteen ninety nine, and I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I did, yeah. Um, well, listen, thank you for. Um helping unpack the SoundCloud conundrums. Um, and uh, we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll dream up an excuse to have you come on again uh, someday soon. Yeah, sounds great. And I can't wait to read the book whenever it might come out. Thanks, Christina. Hey, thanks, Brian. If this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, please subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice. There's plenty more great internet history where that came from. And if you're a longtime listener, then you know what to do to help us out. Rate and review us on iTunes, because iTunes gives credit to reviews and ratings, and the more great reviews we get, the more people will discover us. As always, there's more info on our website, www.internethistorypodcast.com. The show's Twitter handle is at NetHistoryPod, and my personal Twitter is at BrianMCC. Thanks for listening.